0: Let's continue on with this series. I just, I just want to say, you know, we're talking to guys. We're going to do, we've said this before, but again, just a disclaimer, just in case your ears are tender, we're going to do straight talk, though we're not going to really get into anything crazy today. But we are going to talk about David and Bathsheba, and I think many of us know that story of the affair that David had with Bathsheba. We're going to try to learn some things today. I, we, we do. I think we all will agree if any of us has listened to a radio or watched a TV any time in the recent past, that there's some things that as men that we need to learn and that we could really use some guidance from God's word. And so we'll talk on some real practical things today for just a few moments about this. So the whole story begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Those two chapters, Second Samuel 11 and 12, great chapters to read you can get some wonderful guidance david writes um, a psalm all about this we kind of get a window into what was going on inside of him internally in psalm 51 those three chapters in the bible men are great chapters to look at to prevent you from falling into a pit they're great chapters to read and then also once you find yourself in the pit they're a great chapter to figure out how to get yourself out of there quickly and um, as well as you possibly can with as little amount as dirt stuck to you as possible so what we read as we begin chapter 11 it says this at the time of year when kings go off to war david stayed at home and what do we say about that we said that david was sitting on the sidelines spiritually this is not what you what what you want to do one of the ways to keep these types of problems this type of sexual immorality at bay is to have your faith ever increasing and david goes and he sits on the sidelines he takes himself out of the game he's not interested in his faith growing or stretching so, I'm going to take some time off. And he's there. He's bored, right? He has no physical activity to do. He's no spiritual purpose going on in his life. He's bored. Now, think about this, everybody. He takes a walk on his rooftop, and it was just one look. Just like that. That's all it took. Bam! And that moment's time, it set in motion a chain of events that took him down to the depths of his entire life. This is not good. What can we do to prevent that kind of activity? Well, the next thing we know that we read in this story is Bathsheba, she's now pregnant. And David's trying to cover his tracks. And when all of his plans, when they fail, what he ends up doing is he murders Her husband, Uriah, who is one of his most faithful soldiers, courageous, loyal, faithful. Uriah was this massive asset to him. Like, you don't want to let a guy like Uriah go. You need him. And he lets him go, all because he goes down this path that he never wanted to go down in the first place. And it all happened in a moment's time. It happened so very, very quickly. Now, David's thinking. Because as you end chapter 11, it simply ends this way. It says at the end of chapter 11, it says, what David did displeased God. That's the end of chapter 11. Now we start, we start chapter 12, right? And remember all the sending that takes place in chapter 11, that David's doing all the sending and then God sends one time in chapter 12. And that's all it took was one time. And we're told that God sends Nathan the prophet. Now there is a gap. You need to know this between chapter 11 and chapter 12. There's a gap. It's a gap of a year, about a year. A whole year passes. You imagine, David, he might be thinking there in the palace, well, maybe I got away with it. Well, you read in the 32nd Psalm, actually, David says that his bones were wasting away. So internally, David was being eaten up. He felt like he was dying on the inside, right? Because, But he's thinking, well, but maybe I got away with it. Maybe I'm not going to experience. Remember how we talked about from Galatians chapter 6, God says, I will not be mocked what you sow is what you'll reap. And so David is maybe thinking, it's been a whole year. Maybe the harvesters are never going to show up at my house. Maybe somehow I got away. I feel terrible about what I did. But maybe I'm never going to reap the harvest. Well, here comes the harvest. First Samuel, second Samuel, I apologize, chapter 12. I'm going to pick it up in verse number 13. So Nathan comes, visits him, knocks on the door, okay? He says, I got a mes- message for you. God knows and everybody knows what you've done. And you're about ready to receive this huge harvest for what has happened. And then here's how David responds. Let's just read the story. So Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Didn't make any excuses. Didn't say, well, you know what? She shouldn't have been out there doing that. Just, no, just 100% ownership. I've sinned. Wham. It's clear. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies. Notice the reply of Nathan. Odd here. Just, Nathan says, Nathan. The Lord has taken away your sin and check the next phrase. You're not going to die. Why in the world did Nathan say that? David wasn't talking about dying here. Why is he not going to die? You know why? The Old Testament sacrificial system, everybody, the Old Testament sacrificial system. There were only two sins that could not be atoned for within the Old Testament sacrificial system. Murder and rape. And David had done both of those. And he's thinking to myself, I have done something that even God cannot forgive. How many of us here this morning are thinking, guys, you know what? I've done something that I don't even think God can forgive. I'm just going to keep it to myself and I'm going to go to the grave with it because even God cannot forgive. Because I do this thing and then I do this thing and I do it again. And a hundred, hundred times over and over and over again, I keep falling into that same pit constantly. So I'm just going to have to go to my grave with this thing because God can't even forgive. over and over again. And so Nathan says, you know what? Even this thing outside of the Old Testament sacrifices, God can even forgive you of this. So he's sending him a message right off the bat from God. Picking up verse 14. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and he went into his house and he spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he spoke. we spoke to David and he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground and after he had washed, put on his lotions, changed his clothes, he went to the house of the Lord and he worshipped. Lust, everybody, leads to death. The Bible makes that very clear, that lust leads to death. It leads to the death of a friendship. It leads to the death of a very valuable ally like Uriah. It leads to the death of a marriage. It leads to the death of a career, of a reputation, or trust. Proverbs chapter 7 says it this way. Speaking about particularly sexual lust, it says, all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chamber's Lust leads to death. It leads to the death of good judgment, doesn't it? Lead to the death of good judgment. Once we keep following it, our judgment is blown. We can no longer think straight. We do things that we ourselves would consider utterly foolish and ridiculous, but we do them because our minds have been blown. February of this year, 2011, Congressman Christopher Lee of New York resigned after posting a photo of himself on Craigslist looking for a date, he's married, he resigned. Now, surely nobody is going to make that same mistake for decades, right? And I know that, you know, what Congressman Wiener has done, oh, man, everybody's talking about it and laughing about it, but what the reality is? Fellas, right? But by the grace of God, there go I. Right? You know, I think it's fine for the comedians to get up and, you know, do their deal. It's, it's great. But as leaders or as elected leaders and some of the things that I've seen going on just politically and stuff like that, it's just utterly foolish. Uh, other than the grace of God, there go I. Guys, we need help. It's not a time to say, oh, yeah, he shouldn't do that. It's a time to say, you know what? He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We need help. We need the help of God. And if we're not careful, we fall in that same pit because it's a battle that we face. So today I want to talk about this for a few moments. Let's pause and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that your word is very practical and very powerful. And it speaks clearly to us. And God, the heroes of your word, the heroes that we read about in the Bible, God, you don't just hold them up as if they were perfect. You show us exactly who they were. And you teach us and you guide us and you want to help us. No matter where any guy finds himself this morning, no matter if he's standing outside looking at the pit, Or he's so far down in the pit that he can't even see daylight. God, you love us. You want to restore us. And you want to lift us up. Speak to us, please. In Christ's name. Amen. It's a very important point I'd like you to consider writing down on your outline. Run. Don't walk to God. Run. Don't walk to God. This is not a moment for hesitation. This is a moment to run as fast as you can. When you find yourself in a situation where you've stumbled and you've fallen into a pit, the smartest, the wisest biblically thing that you could do is to run as fast as you can to God. But our instincts, men, scream at us and say, run as far away as you can from God. Try to figure this thing out on your own. And when you get your act together, then come back to God. Dumb. D-U-N-B, dumb. We need to run to God as quick as we can because only God can put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? We need the help of God. I want to talk about this. It's very simple. It's a very practical message. We're going to just work our way through it, all right? So we see here that uh, many people believe King David, the greatest king of Israel, they say this, that this was King David's finest hour. Let's think about that. Why in the world would this situation be King David's finest hour? I mean, all the incredible victories he had. Kills this huge giant. He's this great soldier. He's this phenomenal general. How could this moment be his greatest moment that he experienced? It's because in this moment, he fights against all of his instincts and he runs as fast as he can to God. Our male instincts kick in at this moment, right? We just saw this play out for us on the TV. So I don't need to go into this too much here, right? Congressman Weiner, did you do this? Absolutely not. Don't somebody hacked into my account, right? Right. I'm not making fun. All right. Don't, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. Th- those are our instincts. I didn't do it. Don't know. Somebody is up. King David, would you? I don't know. She just walked in my bedroom. She got pregnant. I didn't have anything to do with her. Right. Okay. Isn't that the male? Right. We're going to run away from God. Going to run away from the truth. And what King David does here eventually When the harvester shows up at his doorstep, he says, yes, I have sinned. And he runs to God as quickly as he can. David is smart. He is a general. He is a great soldier. And he has just lost a number of battles. He lost the battle with Bathsheba. He lost the battle with Uriah. But he is not going to lose the war. And so he does the wisest thing he can do. He runs quickly to God now. Track with me here for a second. Matthew 21, 44. Let me set this verse up for you, okay? I, I want you to get this point. I want you to get the point about it's really important to run to God, and I want you to hear me about the harvesters real quick, because this is important. This will save you, all right? This will save me, guys. It'll save you. Matthew 21, 44. Jesus is describing to a group of people. He's saying, look, there is a timeline in your life And when you have messed up, when you have sinned against God, God is going to be gracious and compassionate. He's going to be slow with you, all right? But it doesn't mean that the time is just going to go on forever. There is going to come a time when the harvesters are going to show up and you better make sure you get yourself to God before they come knocking on your door. There's a time when you can fall broken before God and if you take all that time and you just blow all that time, say, so you know what, whatever, you know, what, if you take it all and you don't run to God, then eventually God is going to show up and going to crush you. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 21, 44. He says, he who falls on this stone, the stone is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is speaking here. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces." In other words, you fall before God, broken before God, for whatever's happened in your life. Okay, you're fine. Everything's going to be fine. Notice the second half, Jesus says. But he on whom it falls will be crushed. Galatians 6. God will not be mocked. What you sow is what you reap. And David is thinking to himself, I've sown these seeds. They're terrible seeds. It's rape. It's murder. It's sexual lust. All this stuff like this. But somehow, maybe I escaped the harvesters. And now the harvester is shown up at his doorstep and he's knocking. He's knocking at the door. There will be a harvest that is to come. You have got to get to God first. I want to tell you something that I've observed over the years. Either by reading the Bible or just observing people that I know in my life or watching on the TV. Here's what I noticed. Guys can live this life with all kinds of mess in it. All kinds of sexual immorality and mess just filled in their life right and it goes on it goes on and it goes on Then all of a sudden one day because they never ran to god they never tried to get it straight they never got honest never convinced there's these things that david did right eventually the harvesters show up and once the harvesters show up once it all comes to pass the men are never the same again i've seen it with a pastor there's a pastor that i knew just having affairs with all kinds of women and his ministry was just going phenomenal just going while he was doing it okay everything's going great and the moment the harvester showed up and the gig was up the guy was never the same again tiger woods the guy was living a life everybody what what's the difference why is it the guy never is going to seemingly he's never going to be the same what happened because the harvester show up the fellas I'm trying to impress something upon you. You've got to get to God. There's a principle in the Bible that Jesus says to us, get to God before the harvesters get to you. It's the smartest thing that you can do. Because once they do, never the same again. Politicians aren't the same again. Celebrities aren't the same again. Pastors aren't the same again. Everyday Joes aren't the same again. Golfers aren't the same again. Whatever nothing is the same again once the harvesters show up so jesus is saying to us i'm going to give you some time i'm going to be slow and compassionate i'm going to give you some time but if you blow that time and the harvesters show up life isn't going to be the same you're going to get crushed we've got to know that so that our lives aren't destroyed david lost a lot of battles but he did not lose the war Notice what David does here. Four things in rapid succession. It says David confesses. When Nathan hits it with this, David realizes something, and he does this. David confesses. David pleads. What is pleading with God? That's more than praying. When you're praying, oh, God, help me. I mean, he is pleading. He's sprinting as fast as he can to God. David confesses. David pleads. David fasts. And David worships. Why do we get those four things in this scripture in rapid succession? It's a bam, 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 bam. You know why? Because David is very wise and he knew he blew it and he knew the harvester is standing at his doorstep and he knew that he let too much time pass. And what he's trying to do is minimize his damage at this point. He's running to God as quickly as he can because he knows the gig is up and he knows that his life is now longer, no longer ever going to be the same. You know what? From this point on, David's life as a king was no longer the same. You all need to know that. Is incredible, as storybook as David's life was, as magical as his life was, defeating Goliath, rising from this little tiny shepherd to being the greatest king of Israel, from this point forward in his life, he was never the same as a man. Fellas, if the harvesters show up, we will never be the same person ever again. And so David's sprinting as fast as he's trying to minimize his damage at this point as quickly as he can go. Now, as guys, a lot of times we think to ourselves, you know, oh, I've, I've fallen so many times. There's a Japanese proverb that says fall seven times, get up eight. Doesn't matter how many times we fall, guys, we've got to get back up as quickly as possible. That's what God wants you to do. You're thinking to yourself, well, God, you know, God's even tired of me asking forgiveness on this. God's even tired of listening to this foolishness from me. No, he's not. Look what it says in Joel two thirteen. These same words are repeated eight times in the Old Testament alone. It says this: "Return to the Lord." That's pretty clear. And, God, and they were speaking to a group of people who had really gone far, away, far astray. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate; He is slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. All that's saying eight different times in the Old Testament is: Run to God as quick as you can. Get to God before the harvesters show up minimize the damage in your own life because god wants to restore you we're going to have somebody come and speak to us uh doug is going to come and share with us a story in a lot of ways doug's story has uh a few similarities with uh, with king david and doug and i were talking a couple months ago and doug was talking about this thing that you know what as men why are we kidding ourselves we're all we're all broken and we need to bring that brokenness before god and so doug has a story he wants to share let me grab you a mic here real quick doug i think it's on you good
1: good morning everyone can you hear me okay Okay. all right great it's great to be with you this morning. will you please uh, welcome
0: doug sorry (laughs) thank you
1: John and I have a little running joke. I think that uh, you know the ratings are great here at Grace, but anytime he wants to jack the ratings up, he gets someone like me up here that's going to say something pretty uh, tough to hear. So uh, hopefully, I help you out here, John. Um, guys, I really want to talk to you today about what uh, John's been speaking about. Uh, if you're like me, uh, there's a war that rages inside uh, us on a constant basis. Uh, for me, it's not daily. It's not even hourly. It's minute by minute. And I think you all know what that war is. And, uh, you know, that war that has raged inside me since I was a very young man has caused me to make many uh, foolish decisions and make a lot of mistakes. And we understand God's grace, but uh, I do want to share with you uh, a story, a thing that happened to me when I was a young man and how that has significantly impacted my life and how God has come in and done some amazing and miraculous things. Uh, When I was in my 20s, uh, unfortunately, I made a very negative choice. I had a friend, and this friend had a wife. And I uh, engaged in an affair with this woman. And this affair lasted about six or eight months. And uh, it was just a very foolish and bad decision to make at that time. And uh, it would have been one thing. If the friend would have found out, that would have ended the friendship and certainly caused a lot of, you know, very, very negative things. But something far worse happened. Uh, This particular friend of mine, um, shortly after this affair ended, in which he never did find out about this, but he uh, got cancer. And he was dead within a year. And um, to make matters even more difficult, I had to, you know, be a friend to this man while he was suffering with cancer. And then once the funeral came up, I was chosen to be a pallbearer, and I had to bury this man. And to say that, uh, you know, it was a difficult moment is, and I'm, this is not a script, John, How? Yeah. To say that that was a difficult moment, you know, is an understatement. And, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, I felt extremely guilty and extremely ashamed. And uh, there was really never anything enough that was ever going to restore that. Was ever going to make me feel like that, uh, you know, I could overcome that moment. But there's a good story, there's a good news, there's a good ending here once I came to the saving grace of Jesus Christ once I was able to look in my soul and admit I had a problem that I could not fix and it didn't make any difference what I was going to go do it was never going to get fixed so guys here's the point we have to admit to God and we have to admit to ourselves
0: that we're broken
1: in certain parts of our lives and there is no way that we're going to fix that the only way it's going to get fixed is to go to God and come clean with God and be honest with God and say Lord I need your help and it's just like John talked about in the story once David recognized the consequences of his sin he went to God and he repented and he got back to God now you might think that that story Um, You know, even though it destroyed a friendship and it uh, destroyed part of me, actually, uh, would stop God from doing amazing things. I can tell you that I'm here today as a beneficiary of amazing miracles and amazing grace that God has done in my life since that time. I can tell you about dealing with the KGB Border Police. I can tell you about dodging the Colorado Highway Patrol. I can tell you a whole lot of other things. I can tell you a a Father's Day story that will just literally knock your socks off, okay, that only God could have done. So this is not just a story that John is talking about. This is real. This is real life. It really happens. Um, At the end of the service here, for those guys, if you want to come up, you want to talk to me more, if you want to pray, I think John's going to fill in a few more points here about – some things that you can do to get yourself to the harvest before the harvesters come so you can maybe, um, you know, uh, overcome some of these things. John, do you want to finish up there.
0: You. All that up. Huh? Thank you, Doug. I just want to give you just a few last points because David really gives us some help, guys. He gives us a lot of help because he writes the 51st Psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit, which gives us some insights of things that we can do. Now, he writes this Psalm in the aftermath of his confrontation with Nathan. We get this wonderful window in. Again, we get to see these incredible Bible heroes And we get to see them with all their flaws. That's the way God lets us see them. And we get to see what should we ask for and what should we do when we're facing these kinds of things, which, guys, we face all the time. So he asked for five things in Psalm 51, verses 10, 11, and 12. And here five very important, very practical, very powerful, straight from the Scriptures, things to pray for, that will help us to stay away from the pit or will get us out of the pit. Either way you want to look at it. If you're in the pit, it's going to get you out. If you want to avoid the pit, it's going to keep you away. And so five things. Here's the first thing to ask for, all right? You want to ask for a clean heart. So David says this is, God, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me so david says the first is i need a clean heart i need a pure heart what does that mean it's very deep those words in the hebrew are very deep this goes down to the core of his very being and david's saying god i need you to change me on the inside so fellas when we say to god oh god Give me a pure heart. Give me a clean heart. You're saying, God, I need you to change me on the inside. I need you to transform who I am. What this actually means is David is asking, change my entire personality. Who I am is not what I should be. I need you to change my whole personality, God. Change me. Give me a clean heart. Give me a pure heart. The second thing he prays for is give me a devoted heart. What does that mean? It means make me stable. Make me self-controlled. Make me secure. I don't want to at anything, you know, whatever. Any second I could catch a glimpse of something and all of a sudden I'm just taken away. I'm, I'm going down a whole path of events, right? So David catches one glimpse of Bathsheba and the next thing you know, he's had an affair and he's committing murder. And so when you're saying, God, give me a devoted heart, you're saying, God, I want to be stable. I don't want to be a led away in a second. And this is what God is telling us we need to pray for. The third thing we need to pray for is a constant awareness of God's presence. Fellas, when we sense the presence of God in our lives on a constant basis, it makes it very difficult to mess up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a brilliant theologian, murdered by the Nazis right before World War II ends, Brilliant theologian, he wrote a book called Temptation. And in speaking about lust, here's what he says. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. That's when we fall. We think about the life of King Saul, when King Saul was so jealous and his life was so messed up, and he was filled with so much lust, and he's chasing after David. We're told there's one time in his life that he came up upon a church service and the presence of God was there in such a powerful way that King Saul left all of that lust and hatred and all that jealousy he had for David behind and he begins just to worship God and he goes back home. He leaves. Why? Because he got in God's presence. We have a constant awareness of God's presence. We need to pray for this. Because when we sense the presence of God, it makes it much more difficult, doesn't it, to mess up so badly. Fourth thing, the joy of salvation. The joy of God's salvation. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When we're fighting this type of lust, this kind of sexual lust, we feel very weak against it. and We need strength. It says, give me the joy of salvation. And the final thing he says is, give me a willing spirit. What does that mean? You know what? I feel like I have to do these things. Or I have to say no to these things. Or these images. Or this lifestyle. Or this conversation. Or whatever it might be. I have to do this. And what David says, we need to pray that we would want to not have to that i'd have a spirit in such a way that god would do such a work inside of me that i would want to do the certain things i wouldn't feel like i'd have to so here's how we're going to end very simply the music team is, is going to come up they're going to play a, a final song for us and we're going to sing and uh, i i believe i remember right this song is about being fallen broken before god doug is going to be against our prayer wall with some other guys from our prayer team and they have the scripture, Psalm 51, verses 10, 11, and 12. They have that scripture. And for any guy who wants to avoid the pit, stay away from the pit, or wants to get out of the pit, whatever it might be, these five things are so important. And Doug and the rest of the guys from the prayer team, if you're a guy and you want to, they have a piece of paper, they're going to pray that scripture over you, and then they're going to give that scripture to you to keep us away from the things that God wants to save us from. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that your word is so powerful and practical. Lord, you know so well, whether we even want to admit it to ourselves or not, you know so well that we struggle with this lion that seeks to devour us. But God, you are gracious. You are compassionate. You're slow to anger. You want to restore us you want to take us in the midst of our struggles and our pain and our brokenness and you want to prevent us from going down into the pit or if we're in the pit you want to lift us out God I pray that we would just be able to open our hearts before you and to receive whatever it is that you want to do in our lives today for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ in your name, Amen